0: As I said, I had the privilege of bringing God's word to you, and I'm gonna do something, to be honest with you, uh, that I used to not like a little bit. I'm just gonna go ahead and showing you that God has, has worked on me, and I've grown a little bit. The Grinch's heart grew three sizes that day. And growing up for me, my dad uh, was, many of you know this because I've said so much of my story over the years and the times I get to communicate God's word. It's talking about a little bit of my story and my upbringing, and my dad was an old school preacher. like street evangelists standing on street corners. As a matter of fact, when I was just about uh, six weeks old, my dad walked down the streets of Bourbon Street during Mardi Gras, preaching the gospel to anybody who would hear them. That was kind of the, the uh, environments that I was raised in. And so dad was always a preacher, right? My grandfather on my mom's side was an old school tent evangelist, if you will. So all I know to do is to preach. And I remember growing up, obviously when your parents are pastors and missionaries, you don't really visit churches very often. And if you do, it's because dad was speaking there, right? And so we'd take this show on the road, right? You know, like the Von Trapp family and go and we'd sing a song and wear matching outfits, you know, and dad would preach fire and hopefully people would get saved and invite us back. Come on, somebody, right, you know? And uh, and so that's really all that I ever knew. But on the occasional time or uh, seasons of life where I would visit another church, if I ever saw a stool on the stage, I'd be like, this guy's got nothing for me. You know what I mean? This is gonna be Sunday school, uh, you know, kids' service type of deal. I, I assume... So I associated, this is the narrow-mindedness, I associated the stool with weakness. That's what I really did. I'm like, you just don't have the boldness to just stand up and preach the undiluted word of God and if people get offended, so what? You know, like, I just thought, man, this is a weak preacher having a stool on there. I'm just, I don't feel that way anymore. Some of you are judging me right now. You're like, how dare you, right? But that used to be me. But what I wanna do is I'm gonna do something that's really hard for me. I'm gonna preach from the stool today. And here's the reason why. It's because as much as I love to preach, I believe God's not just equipped me to do so, but called me to preach the gospel in any way, shape, or form that I have the privilege to do so. But today, I want to more so teach us. Today, if there was ever a message um, that I would encourage you, whether you're a note taker or not, if there was ever a message that I wanna encourage you Uh, in the room and those of you watching online to take notes, it would be this message. As a matter of fact, you may wanna get out your phones and your Note app, and at any point today, because we're gonna go through a lot of scripture, but I believe this message today is more of an equipping message. There are messages that are meant to convict and to inspire and things along those lines, but it's also important for us not to just be inspired on how to live the life that God has called us to live, or not just to be inspired to dream and to pray and to seek after God, but it's also important for us to be equipped on how to live this thing out. Come on, how many of you believe that? If there's a day in an age, and I believe that's really the season that the church is in at large right now, it's an equipping season. It's a preparation time of what is already I believe presently happening in the earth, but I believe also equipping us for what God is about to do. Because as ready as you think you are, and as ready as I think I am, let me tell you something, we ain't ready for what God's about to do, I believe that. I believe it's bigger than what we know, I believe it's more profound than what we know, and I wanna bring us a word today. Sorry, I'm choked up just thinking about it. (coughs) Hello, Um, I wanna bring us a word today, here we go, to equip us in scripture, is that okay? Would you join me in praying over God's word, and then we're gonna get into it, and I'm gonna do my best to stay seated in this message today, are you ready? Here we go, Father, we love you, we thank you for your goodness, Lord, and we thank you for the moments that we share. I pray as I often do, would you anoint me as your vessel today to communicate your heart and your word to your people, not of anything of my own ideas, thoughts, or opinions, ask for them to do that to be erased from my mind and from my notes, because we can't trust that at all. But what we can trust is the unchanging, unwavering, lamp into our feet, light into our path, the same yesterday, today, and forever, word of God. So I pray over these next few moments that you would challenge us, you would change us, you would equip us. Lord, would you even dare to make us uncomfortable for the sake of molding us into what you've always created us to be? We thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I wanna start out by telling you a little bit of a story. This past summer, I can't remember exactly when it was, June or July, somewhere over June or July, I had the privilege of being able to take my wife away for our 10-year anniversary trip. After 10 years of being married, she hasn't killed me yet. Come on, somebody, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's Grace is sufficient for me. I live to die another day, right? No, but 10 years of marriage and 16 years together, we have never been away, just her and I, for longer than three days. Our honeymoon at the time, we got married at 21 years of age and we didn't have any money, but we just knew we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. We got gifted a free weekend away, so we spent three days away at the beach, and that was it. and very quickly, we had children. Come on, somebody. Married people did married people things, and started kids started popping up, and so, how many of you know, a vacation with children ain't vacation? Come on, where the moms and dads at right there? This ain't a vacation, you know what I mean? I'm more exhausted than ever. I've done the Disney marathons in the universe. We've been on vacations. We've been to nice places, but I have not walked away feeling refreshed. I have walked away going, why did I have three of you? No, I'm just kidding, right? You know, but I, I'm thankful for my. Some of y'all are like, call Defacts. No, no, no. I love my kids. They're amazing, but time away with kids ain't vacation. I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you now. And so we decided we knew our 10-year anniversary was coming up. We'd never been away. We said, you know what? We start stowing away some money to go somewhere really nice. And then last year, when stimulus checks started coming in, we're like, you know what? We're gonna take that money. We're gonna do the responsible thing. We're gonna put it away as savings so we can pay for this trip in cash and not go into any debt. Come on, somebody, right there. So, um, so we we went on this trip and we flew away for an entire week. Come on, that's just that's sanctified right there. <laughs> an entire week off to the Virgin Islands. And we were in the Virgin Islands. We stayed on an island called Saint Thomas. You know, what we did there <laughs> nothing. It was great. We sat on the beach and we just did nothing and was like, this is great, we should do this more often. And so we went to the beach, we did along those things, and we went to another island called St. John. And St. John as they call it, it's like a garden island, right? It's, it's predominantly a giant state park, there's not a whole lot of civilization there. And we said, you know what, let's do something that we see other people do on vacations, let's go on a, uh, let's get a tour guide. Let's have somebody drive us around and show us the things to do. Let's be a local, right, you know? And so we get, in the, we get into this Jeep, because that's what you have to do when you're on an island, right, or else it's not real. And we get in the backseat of a Jeep, and our tour guide's name is Kyle. And Kyle, it starts raining a bit that day. Kyle turns around and says, listen, of all the places I would normally take somebody on a tour, they're not gonna be really great experiences due to the weather. So we're gonna change things up and do things a little bit different. Is that okay with you? We said, sure, Kyle, we're in the back seat. And so we start driving around. He starts pointing out some of the history, telling us some stories. And when you got a pastor in the back seat, I'm ready to lead Kyle to Jesus. So I'm like, so Kyle, tell me a little bit about yourself. right? You got any daddy issues? You know what I mean? Mommy issues, you know, anything, skeletons in your closet. You know, I'm like, I'm that guy, right? We start casually getting up conversation. And at one point in the time, he pulls over on the side of the road, reaches up to a tree, pulls this weird crusty leaf looking thing off the tree hands it to us and goes, hey, eat this. I said, listen, Kyle, I know I look dumb, but I'm not dumb, okay? And I know, I'm not gonna fall for this trick. I'm gonna eat this and I'm gonna have hemorrhoids tomorrow. I can just feel it already. I am not getting whatever plague you're trying to give to me, all right? So I said, Kyle, how about you eat it first? And then if you don't die, I'll eat it. So he did, he bites off this little thing, squeezes this little stuff out of there, really weird, like a jelly kind of thing. He goes, eat it, it's good. I'm like, babe, you eat it first, you know what I mean? And so she eats it and she doesn't die. And so I figured if two or three are gathered in his name, there he is, right? And so I go ahead and take a bite. It was gross, but I didn't die. And so we started driving a little bit further and then he pulls over on the side of the road where this little ditch is. I'm like, and this is where he's gonna put the bodies when he's done with us, in the ditch, right? So there's a little ditch, She leans over in the ditch, She he's reaching towards a... um a cactus-type plant, it's got these hot pink little candy corn-looking things on the top. And he goes, hey, eat this. And I go, ha fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You eat it, Kyle. You know, I'm like, let's learn here. So he eats it, my wife eats it, they didn't die, I eat it. And I said, Kyle, what are you doing, bud? Like, you know, I thought we were gonna see sights and whatnot, and you're pulling off random things on bushes and cactuses and telling us to eat it. I said, where did you learn that these things were safe to eat? And he said this this to me, he said, several years ago, there was a massive hurricane that came and it completely devastated the majority of the islands. Matter of fact, we were without power or running water for almost 60 days. And I found out through Kyle's story that he comes from a financially well-off family, actually stopped just short of getting his doctorate in school before he realized, you know what? I don't think I wanna do this anymore. And that's kind of what led him to living on the island. He actually later told me in the conversation that he had a friend who has a plane, who's a private pilot. And I said, Kyle, you have no shortage of money, resource and relationship to get off the island. Why did you stay through the hurricane? He said, Ryan, I live in an area of the, of the world that has hurricanes on a regular basis. And even though I knew how to leave, I figured I better learn how to stay because what happens when a hurricane comes that I don't know about first? And instantly, I was ready to respond to Kyle's altar call right there in the back seat. I'm like, I actually need the faith that you have. You know what I mean? Lay hands on me, Kyle, all right? And I wonder how much of that is an image, if you will, of Christianity. Where God calls us out from the place of familiarity that we were born into and the sin in our lives into this gorgeous place this place of relationship with him, this place of intimacy with him, a place that leaves our eternity secured. But then when storms come and sin still happens in our lives and temptation comes and shortcomings come and sickness comes, we don't know how to respond. And instead of learning how to live in the difficulty of the area that we've been called to live in, we would much rather eject back into the old way of doing things. Today, I want to talk to us about something that I believe God never stopped calling us to, but frankly right now he's calling the church back to. And Today we're gonna talk about a word, holiness. Everybody say holiness. Holiness. If you've been in church any length of time, you've heard the word holy. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to be real churched if you will, to know the word holiness, to sing the word holiness. But if I were to pass around the microphone like a hot potato right now from person to person and ask you to define what does it mean to be holy, chances are I would have as many different definitions as there are people in the room right now. But yet, holiness is something that God has called his children to. That all of those who have been born again, who've accepted Jesus as their savior, he's called us to live a life that is holy. And so let's look at it in first Peter chapter one, verses 15 and 16, it reads this way. They're gonna have it on the screen. It says, but now you must, everybody say must. You must be holy in everything you do. Just as God chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must, everybody say must. You must be holy because I am holy. Sorry, y'all, I'm sweating up here. I gotta take this jacket off. Is that all right? He's getting serious now. The jacket's off, rolling up the sleeves. We're getting in the word today, all right? Be holy. You must be holy. Peter writing, says, you and I must. He's not suggesting. He's not advising. He's not hinting. He's commanding. So he says that God himself has said to you and I that holiness isn't just an option. Holiness is a requirement of the children of God. He's actually quoting in that second part where he says, for scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. He's quoting Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, where God's speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel after giving the 10 commandments, a command to the nation of Israel. Peter's saying that command still rings true today. If you are children of God, people who claim to be Christ followers, it's not enough to claim it. You've got to live it. And living it means you must live a life that is holy. Now I grew up in church, as I just said, and one of the songs we used to sing, I believe it was in the mid to late 90s, maybe even touching the year 2000, was a song called Take My Life. Come on, how many of you remember? Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Come on, it's good. Holiness, Woo! the Holy Spirit, you can feel it right now. It's what I need, right? And then he would say these words. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, oh Lord. And so We used to sing songs about it. It seems as though we don't sing as many songs about a call to holiness that God has called us to do. But yet Peter decrees, renews and says, hey, just a reminder, this wasn't just an Old Testament principle that God spoke through Moses to the nation of Israel to be holy as I am holy. But he's still saying to you and I today, we are called to live a holy life, to be holy. But it's not just that he says, be holy. Here's what trips me up. He says, don't just be holy. Be holy as God is holy. Now that seems outright impossible. How could I be as holy as God is holy? It feels as though that I have been issued a decree and a standard and a command that is impossible to live up to. So why would God command you and I to do something that in the natural seems absolutely impossible? Well, we're gonna look a little bit at that in just a moment, but let me first, I'm gonna read off a few things because we need to have an accurate understanding of what it really means to be holy. Are you with me this morning? All right. In the Hebrew, the words that are translated holy and holiness have to do with being set apart, separate, different, or dedicated. The absolute moral purity of God's character sets him apart, making him different from every other living creature. Yet he calls his holy people, you and I, to be holy as he is. And we tend to think that holiness is just behavior modification. It's obeying God's law. But for God, holiness is not a mere action or set of behaviors. Holiness is his essence. Holiness is who he is. So God is morally and ethically perfect by nature. So if that's the standard of holiness, I don't know about you, but I'm already disqualified because I have had many a decisions in my life and many a thoughts in my life and many of actions in my life and many of seasons in my life that were the furthest thing from being morally and ethically perfect. Come on, all of us in this room have had seasons, have had actions, have had thought processes, says say that word sometimes. Thought processes, right? Thought processes in our lives that have disqualified us from what his word says we're commanded to be. So how can God hold us to a standard that seems as though naturally impossible? And I wonder as though, if this is the very reason why a lot of us don't actually pursue holiness. It's not out of a desire, but we just don't know how to do it. And every time I try to be holy, I tend to be more reminded of just how unholy I am. Have you felt that way? It seems as though as hard as I try in my natural self to be godly as he is godly, to be holy as he is holy, to be pure as he is pure, it seems as though I just keep tripping over myself. I can't get out of my own way. So how on earth can I live to be holy? Holiness isn't just a possibility for the Christian, but holiness is a requirement. Matter of fact, if you go and read Hebrews chapter 12, my favorite passage of Scripture, in verse 14, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So in other words, if you and I don't understand what it means to be holy, but in turn don't actually live holy lives, a broken and dying world will never see Jesus. The writer of Hebrews is actually goes so far to say that the commandment for you and I to be holy doesn't just have to do with us being made right before God, but us exemplifying hope for a dying humanity. He's saying, listen, when we walk out in the, air, in the levels of holiness, of, of being pure, both morally and ethically, being holy as he is holy. It, does, it doesn't just bring cleansing and right standing in us, but it is actually the greatest testimony to the world around us. And can I say, I think the, one of the number one reasons today where the unbeliever no longer takes the believer's word for it is because their lives don't look any different from each other. That most professing Christians outwardly exercise in the same sin as those who don't profess to be a Christian. There seems to be no differentiation from a Christian's life to someone who is not a Christian's life. And so the world looks at the church today and goes, wait a second, why do I need to be any different? Your life, your decisions, your sin is outwardly processing and practicing the same way as mine. In other words, we are in the world, but God has called us to not be Of the world. We are to be holy. We are to be set apart. So the difference between God and us is that he is inherently holy. Where on the other hand, we only become holy in relationship with Christ. And then we only increase in holiness based on spiritual maturity. So in other words, when I accept Jesus as my Lord and savior, right? In that moment, I am set apart. I am born again. Are you with me? I know I'm doing a lot of teaching, but just hang with me. We're going to go somewhere in just a moment. But it's important for us to understand what it means to be holy. So when I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, I then become holy out of relationship with him. But then I grow and mature in my holiness. I live a life of holiness based on my ability to mature in my my relationship with Jesus. There is spiritual maturity that sets in that I live a life of holiness. Are you with me this morning? And so for us, we need to understand the pursuit of holiness does not end when we come to relationship with Jesus. It's actually the beginning. It's the beginning of our growing in, exercising, practically walking out. What does it mean to be holy? Once again, this isn't a suggestion that God gives his people. It's a requirement. It's a mandate. It's a standard. And so I don't just want to sit here and go, hey, let's be holy, church. Woo, be holy but then not ever tell you how to actually walk out holiness. If there's one thing that I need to apologize for, and trust me, there are many, but there's one thing that I need to be apologize for is any time that I've stood in front of you, or anytime, let me go ahead and do something dangerous and apologize on behalf of other preachers that you've maybe heard preach the gospel, whether it be in this room or in your previous church experience or whatever your upbringing may have been, that preach the standard without the process. Because we're really great at being like, be holy, woo, be holy. Hope you make it. (laughs) Be holy. I feel convicted. Hope you make it. But as I read through scripture, God doesn't just lay this standard on you and I. He actually equips us in his word. The The trick is we actually have to open up his word and read his word on how to apply it, on how to live it, on what does this look like? Because once again, if I were just to read the verse, be holy as he is holy, I'd be like, this is great, but now I'm actually really discouraged. Because when I look over my life, and I look at the sin in my life, and I look at the temptation in my life, and I look at the shortcoming in my life, I'm the furthest thing from holy left to my own decision making. I'm the furthest thing from holy left to my track record. But yet you place a command on my life to be holy. 1 John 3 and 9 says it this way. It says, those who have been born into God's family, those who have been born again, those who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, do not make a practice. Everybody say practice. They do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So John goes to even take it a step further and saying, listen, The issue isn't going to be that you're never going to sin again. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When Luke wrote down, Jesus is speaking about taking up our cross and following him. He said, daily take up your cross and follow him. In other words, we live a life of repentance. It's not like when I come to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now I never sin ever again. But John is writing to you and I saying, listen. Those who have Christ living on the inside of them. Those who have been filled with the spirit of God. It's not that we don't sin, but we should not make a practice of sinning. In other words, sin should not become repetitive and habitual sin in our life should not become a lifestyle. And so he says, it's not that you're not going to fail. It's not that you're going to have a moment. You're never going to have a moment of impurity again or something immoral ever again. But he's saying, if Christ is dwelling within you and you live a life surrendered to him, then it should never become a practice. It should never be a thing that you just habitually excuse in your life and just labeling it under what my dad would call greasy grace, right? Oh, grace covers it anyways, we'll be all right. And there's one thing I think that's happened a lot of is that we have excused and even allowed permissible sin amongst us as Christians, amongst even us as a church. We've even watered down the gospel and hopes that we don't become too confrontational, and hopes to draw more numbers of people rather than holding up the standard of holiness. And what a dangerous place that is to be, where we dilute and compromise the word of God all for the sake of being socially accepted. Oh, it's getting quiet. This actually happens at the church that, if you read through scripture, it's the church we know the most about. We know the most of its origin story. Go read Acts chapter 19, you'll figure out how Paul started this church. It's a church that later, as Paul is in prison, he would write a letter of correction and encouragement back to that we get to know as the book of Ephesians. And it's also a church that is mentioned of the seven churches in Revelation chapter two and three, of God's letter back to the church of once again correction and encouragement. In the city of Ephesus, it was a epicenter of actual worship of Greek and Roman gods, Greek and Roman idols. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous, if you will, and well-worshipped God at that time was a goddess by the name of Artemis, who is all about sexual immorality and impurity. In this day and age, there's a whole lot of worship to spirits. A whole lot of people going, Yeah, some spiritual. Come on, anybody ever say that to you? And you're like, listen, the, the demons are a spirit too. What's the spirit you worship over here? Although, oh, only one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's about to breathe on you. You know what I mean? In this time, there were people who were getting really spiritual and worshiping the other spirits, other gods, other gods that were permitting and allowing and excusing sexual immorality. There was a rampant rise of men mistreating their wives. There was all sorts of sin that were per- perverted, not just in the culture, but it actually permeated its way into the church, and it had been excused and no longer addressed amongst church leaders. Now, I know this is a really long time ago, and we don't deal with that at all today, right? That's not, we're just real perfect and all those things. We're gonna pick up here in Ephesians chapter four, where Paul is writing this letter to this church. And it's important to know he's not writing this letter to the city of Ephesus. He's writing this letter to the church that was planted in Ephesus and talking about this standard of holiness that we just talked about. Peter said, listen, quoting God through Moses and renewing the command again, be holy as he is holy. As John has said, listen, we don't make a practice of sinning for which Christ dwells within us. But then Peter goes to address, excuse me, Paul goes to address this in the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four. Are you still with me? Verse 21 says this. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the spirit renew. Who renews it? The spirit does. Let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. So in other words, he's saying, listen, if the Holy Spirit is dwelling on the inside of you and you permit the Holy Spirit to move through you, he will renew your mind and change your attitude. Paul says he's saying, you can't muster up enough Ted Talks or self-help books to reprogram yourself. The Holy Spirit alive on the inside of you has the ability to renew your mind and alter your attitude. But left on your own, You're headed down your old way. But if you live a life surrendered, you live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit, it will renew your mind and change your attitude. He says this, but put on your new nature, created to be like God, and here's where he says it again, truly righteous and holy. So he says, listen, allow the Holy Spirit to teach you, to equip you, to correct you, And it will allow you to take off your old way and put on a new way that is holiness and righteousness. This is what Jesus will be talking about when he would say, I believe it's in John chapter 14, where he says, listen, he's getting ready to leave. And he says, but I'm leaving one with you who is the Holy Spirit. And he will bring two things. He will bring all things into remembrance. So he'll remind you of everything that Jesus has already said to you. And he will teach you. He will remind you what has already been said to you, and then he will actively teach you what you do not know. So the Holy Spirit at work in our life reminds and teaches. Are you with me? And so how am I gonna be holy if I don't allow the Holy Spirit to teach me and remind me of what God's Word says? Are you with me? So he says, so after saying this, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, but now we ask the question, You've told me I've got to be holy. You've told me I've got to be set apart. You've told me it's a command. It's not a suggestion. How? What does holiness look like in our life? We're going to look at it verse by verse here. Starting at verse 25, picking up, he says this. So stop telling lies. I love Paul. He's like, you need a counselor? All right, just stop it. You know what I mean? That'd be $500. He said, listen, just, just stop. Stop telling lies. You want to be holy? Stop lying. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I love this. If you're a thief, wait for it, really profound, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work. In the original Greek, that literally means exert yourself to exhaustion for good. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. I love this. He says, listen, you want to be holy? Stop lying. And instead of lying, start telling the truth. You want to be holy? Stop giving away and allowing anger to control you, but rather be somebody who's an agent of peace. You want to be holy? Hey, instead of of stealing, since you're so good with your hands, how about you put those hands to good work and build things up that don't just bring blessing to you and your family, but become a blessing to others around them. What is he saying? There are natural tendencies that are in your personality and my personality that have a way that festers and builds the kingdom of darkness and a way that promotes and builds the kingdom of light. Same gift, two different uses. Let me tell you a really quick story. I'll tell you how bad of a parent I am. Several years ago, My daughter was, I think, I don't know, two years old, maybe three years old. And my middle daughter is that one who just knows how to break mom and dad. Who's had that child? We're like, every day, somebody's crying. Sometimes she's crying. Sometimes mom's crying. Sometimes we're all crying, right? I got that hard-headed child. Like, don't touch that. And she'll be like, you know, and she'll just push it over and put her chest out. Like, what are you going to do? Right? You know what I mean? And I've got that one bull-headed, hard-headed child. And still to this day, she is that. And there was one day where it was dad's responsibility to take care of the two, at the time, two children that we had, And my daughter, I still to this day can't tell you what she did. I don't remember what she did. She did something where dad was mad. And we were about to have, mad dad was about to be bad dad because discipline was getting ready to be had. Come on, somebody, you know what I mean? And and so I don't remember what it was. She got on my nerves. She did whatever. And I remember I got angry. And I am not an angry guy. I don't really yell I don't really lift my voice. I'm just not really wired that way. I've got plenty of other shortcomings, but I'm just not naturally angry. And, but that day, Dad was angry. And I reared my hand back, and I was ready to lay into this child. I was getting ready to yell at her. I was getting ready to whoop her butt. Come on, somebody. I was getting ready to be the arm of the law in the living room. And I kid you not, I reared my hand back in anger. And I felt the Holy Spirit grab my hand and say these words to me. Don't you dare killing her what I've put in her that she's just not mature enough to handle yet. I went from getting ready to whoop her tail to go, come here, baby, come here, give me a hug. You is kind, you is smart, you is anointed. You're gonna preach the gospel. You're gonna lay hands on the sick. They're gonna recover. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden I started prophesying over my child. What was it? She had something that God had uniquely gifted her with a boldness, a tenacity that when it is redeemed is going to be used to see life change happen through her life. You see, same gift, but immaturity puts it and builds the kingdom of darkness. Spiritual maturity uses that gift to build the kingdom of light. So Paul is saying, hey, you want to be holy. You find yourself as a natural liar. Well, you obviously love running your mouth. How about you start telling people truth? You're a thief. You obviously love to work with your hands. How about you build things that bring a blessing to the community around you? You're demonstrative in your emotions. How about you become demonstrative with joy and peace and love and kindness and gentleness? He's saying, listen, there's a way to redeem the gift that God has placed on the inside of you. So he says to him, don't use foul or abusive language, but let everything you say be good and helpful so that the words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So if you've got an issue with gossiping, guess what? You're a great candidate for encouragement. You love running your mouth, just encourage people instead. Just start praying for people instead. Just say, hey, I know something's going on with so-and-so's life, rather than telling you about it, let's pray for so-and-so. I've got a natural tendency and I wonder if we've been correcting the wrong thing. We've been trying to kill the giftings in people rather than showing how people how to mature in their gifting and see how it builds the kingdom of God. So he says in verse 30, are you getting anything out of this? Okay, good. He says, and don't bring sorrow in God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. But remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So then get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, harsh words, slander, as well as, I love at the end. He's like, and all the other ones too, right? You know what I mean? Like he named a few and then he's like, and then all of them. Come on, how many of you as a kid, when you were repenting before you went to bed, you said, Lord, I'm sorry that I talked back to mom and I'm sorry that I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. And Lord, please forgive me for anything I'm not remembering right now too. You're right, it was just like the outline. It was like the last line of the prayer. Come on, how many of you prayed that prayer? I, I still pray that prayer. Lord, if there's anything that I'm just blind to, forgive me for that as well. He says, listen, get rid of bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander. Get rid of all evil, all evil behavior. Instead, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So after he's laid out this whole practical side, showing an unredeemed and a redeemed outward expression of a gifting that God has given us, he continues on and he says this, imitate God. I love this. He doesn't say worship God, although you should do that. He doesn't say adore God, although you should do that. He doesn't even say fear God, although you should do that. He says, imitate him. He's repeating this same message of holiness. Be like him. Imitate God in everything you do because you're his dear children. In other words, just as your kids imitate you, it's always the most trippy thing when you start seeing your kids do stuff that you do. It's both encouraging and horrifying, you know what I mean? Like, Don't be like me, be better than me, right? He says, just like your kids do stuff naturally in imitation of you, because you're the one that they're looking up to, you're the one that they're learning from. He says, be like that, imitate God. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, for he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And then he continues. Okay, I, I'm laboring on this and going verse by verse because once again, I don't just wanna inspire you and just tell you, I, I don't want you just to walk away going, "Woo, that was a great service or "Woo, I was just stimulated today. I want you to go away going, man, how can I become more like Christ? How can I become more like God? Not how can I become more like Ryan? Woo, we don't need, you don't wanna do that. You don't wanna be me. Let well, me we walk away going, man, how can I become more like him? God doesn't need The earth doesn't need another me. He needs people formed in his likeness, imitating his likeness, walking in his holiness. So he goes this, he goes a step further. He says, let there be no, everybody say no. He says, no, this is absolute. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Let there be none. Not even the slightest hint of. And let me go ahead and just set the record straight. Any sexual desire or practice that is not in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Any. Any sexual immorality. Anything sexual that is not between the, in the confines of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. I don't care who's watered down theology for you to tell you that it's not that way. It is that way. It's humbling, it's convicting, but it is true. So he says, listen, let there be no sexual immorality or impurity or greed among you. Step back for a second. Paul's writing this letter to who? Not the city of Ephesus. He's writing this to the church. So he says, listen, you have allowed it. You've permitted it. You've excused it. You've actually watered down the gospel to say it's not as big of a deal as you think it is. And he says, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. He isn't saying this. He doesn't say, avoid these things so that you can be a a saint. He's rather saying, listen, you are a child of God. You are a saint. Now live in a manner fitting to your calling. Be set apart. Be holy. Don't just go in through the motions as the world goes. He's saying you as children, as light bearers of Christ, are to live holy as he is holy. Then he goes on. Obscene stories. Fullest talk. Coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. In other words, he's saying, listen, not only is sexual immorality, rampant in practice, but it's even rampant in discussion and in jokes and in common language. He's saying, don't even let it permeate its way into your conversation. Can I tell you something really quick? That the demonic in your life manifests more in the little mundane things than it does in the big miraculous things. That little seeds and things that are getting a foothold in your life happened more in subtleties of language and practice and images and little things that you think you've got under control rather than this big bang of a moment. Every big bang of a moment started with a little seed of impurity that was allowed. Every single one of them. I remember as a teenager screwing up royally way too many times. And when I would do, God had, for whatever reason, very graciously wired my brain to not go, How could I stop doing the Big Bang issue? I would go back and retrace steps of where did the seed of thought ever begin? What conversation was it? What TV show was it? Listen, I'm not here. I'm sitting here just don't hear what I'm not saying. What was it that made its way into my mind months ago, weeks ago, days ago? That I've been left with this action. I excused it. I thought I had it under control. I thought everything was good. But he's saying, listen, don't even let it come up in little ways that you speak because before they become an action, it started as a thought that turned into a word that came into an action. He's going after the root of everything that is impure and unholy. Are you with me? It's getting quiet, but I expect it. Verse five. I know this is... I'm wanting this just to get deep in your spirit. When I say expect it, I know it because this is convicting for all of us. This is Paul literally going all up in your business. I don't know your business, but God does. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm getting word. I'm seeing things, I'm sensing things. God's telling me things. But I'm wanting to show you how this permeates into your life. Verse five, he says, you can be sure that no immoral, immoral, impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. In other words, to covet, to see what is somebody else's and desire it and long for it, it becomes our God rather than me seeking after God and allowing God to give me everything that I need. Verse six, he says, don't be fooled by those, once again, here he is talking to so many, to you and I. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things that these people do. So here Paul has gone on for so many verses now. And he's shown us the little, the the unredeemed, building the kingdom of darkness way that our gifts and personalities go. How to redeem it, to build the kingdom of light and to see life change happen around us. Then he goes deep. He starts going after our thought life. He starts going after the things that we just allow to, we permit in our lives, in the things we listen to, in the things that we see. Then he lays these big hammers by saying, Listen, there's going to be everybody who's broken these things. God's anger's coming, God's judgment's coming, and we're all like, Whoa, you've just confirmed for me, Paul, I can't be holy. you just confirmed for me, Paul, this standard that is impossible to live up to. You show me these little things that maybe will make me feel good, but I'm guilty of all those things. And you say that there's judgment coming. You're saying that there's anger coming. And he says, Don't be fooled by people who excuse this. Don't even participate in these things. But then he goes, Hang on a second. Verse 8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord. So live as people of the light. He says, This used to be you. Paul's saying, This used to be me. This used to be Ryan. You used to give in to these things, you used to permit these things, but when you came into Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He's given you everything you need for godly living. So all of Paul is saying, you want to know how to be holy? Just in the little things, don't lie, tell the truth. Don't indulge in immorality, be socially accepted, but rather to stand for all things that are right and that are pure. He's literally just showing these little things that we think holiness is this giant mantle that we've got to carry and this thing. And it's like, no, no, no. The way that you live holy is in the little decisions of your life. In the little decisions of your life and the things that you indulge in and the things that you don't. The things that you permit and the things that you don't. He's saying, listen, you used to be these people. You used to be full of darkness, but now you're full of light. For this light within you produces only what is right and what is true. Danae, you can come and join me. I'm almost done. Are you still with me this morning? Verse 10 says this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. This is Paul's way of, of the David prayer. David would pray, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, after he said all these things, he goes, now take inventory of your life. Where, are you, where has sin gotten its foothold in your life? What are the things that are causing you to live a life that is unholy? To actually live a life that, is, that contradicts the very nature that is on the inside of you. When I accept Jesus, I die to my sin nature, and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reminds and teaches. Yes, he's also our comforter. He's the advocate. He's the counselor. But he reminds us of what Jesus has already said, and he teaches us how to live a life of godliness. He says, search yourself. Determine what pleases the Lord. Then he says this, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. And then he says these words. Instead, expose them. So in other words, when you find yourself in darkness, not if, once again, Paul's not saying you ain't gonna sin. But when you sin, Bring it immediately into the light. Live as children of the light. When you sin, that's an unholy thing. But the way that I live in holiness and spiritual maturity is I take that unholy thing, that sin, and I bring it into the light and I confess it. God, man, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, help me. Help renew my mind. I'm sorry that I've been hanging on to this bitterness for so long. You've, you've revealed it to me. And so now I'll, I'll make, I'm confessing it. I'm exposing it. I'll bring it into the light so that you can heal it. You can redeem it. You can deal with it. And I can live a life that's holy. Paul's not saying you're never going to sin. He's saying when you do, bring it into the light. Because sin thrives in darkness. And that's where we get heavy. And we carry this thing around called shame. All shame is, is the continual reminder of wrongdoing. And some of you have been carrying the weight of secret sin. Because of the position that you carry in your family, because of the position that you carry in your business, because of the position that you carry in this church. And you know, you got to be holy. But holiness feels like this perfect standard that I can't live up to. And because I've got a perception that I've got to protect, I'm really dying privately. And I'm carrying the weight of shame because I've got sin in my life that I'm scared to expose because I should be better than this. And Paul's saying, listen, I've got to expose this too. And I'm going to encourage you that The way that sin doesn't have a foothold on your life, the way you break the power of sin in your life, in this age, in this earth, is you gotta expose it, you gotta bring it in the light. You gotta confess it, so that it can be dealt with, so that it can be healed, so that it can be redeemed, so it becomes a part of my testimony that goes back into what? Building the kingdom of light. But I feel like the number one thing that plagues so many of us, me included, It's shame because we see our sin and we go, we should be better than this. And we're scared to tell anybody that we struggle. We're scared that anybody may know that we still deal with something that we thought we had under control 10 years ago. Oh, if my family only knew, if the church only knew, if my spouse only knew, if my business only knew, it would be the end. Rather, can I tell you something? The day is coming. I believe it's in Luke chapter 12, Jesus speaking where he says, listen, all things that are done in darkness will be brought to the light. All things that were said in secret behind closed doors will be shouted from the mountaintops. Paul says, you want to live a life that's holy? It goes to these little things in our lives. And then he sums it up at the end. He says, don't have anything to do with the deeds of darkness, but instead, when you do, expose it, bring it in the light. It's shameful to even talk about these things but the evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines. For the light makes what? Everything visible. And that's why it said, watch this, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You know, it's funny, it's in there in quotes. And a lot of times in your Bible, when it's kind of set apart there and in quotes, a lot of times it's a quote from a different, maybe an Old Testament passage. And I went searching for that line, a go sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And guess what? It's nowhere else in the Bible. I said, well, that's kind of weird. Then why is it in quotes? So I started studying this out. Why is Paul quoting something that I can't even go back and find the original quote? And here's what I found. Most theologians have agreed on this thought, that it was a song and a saying of the day in church. So it said, we keep singing, Awake, sleeper! A great awakening's coming. Rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And it'll expose what's in your life so that we can live holy as He is holy. But we can call each other and live a, a life of holiness to uphold a standard of holiness. It's not that we're not going to sin, but when we do, The way that I break the power of sin is I bring it into the light. So as I close, let me give you this. This application, just in case you needed one more. How do we live holy? We live in the light. So that means we have to bring all things that are in the darkness. I bring it into the light so that God can deal with it, God can heal it, and it can be redeemed. James would give us this ticket. James chapter 5, verse 16, he says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. So in other words, it's mighty and effective. Now I've heard this passage of scripture only quoted one sentence or the other, but usually not together. I've heard confess your sins to each other and pray for others so that you may be healed. And I've heard that the prayers of a righteous person have great power and produces wonderful results. But these are connected because it matters who you confess to. We think confession is venting. There's a difference between venting and confessing. Can I tell you something? If you're just venting to somebody, chances are they're going to vent, your vent, to somebody else. And we go, oh, I feel so much better, I got that out. But then we find ourselves right back in the same scenario. But confession says this, Confession says, I need help. This is what's going on in my life. Will you stand with me in prayer? Will you agree with me that the power of this sin will be broken off of my life? Will you help hold me to a standard of holiness? He's talking about genuine, godly relationship. So not just confess your sins to anybody. We're not gonna have a testimony service where we all get up and like, my name's Ryan and here's my skeletons. Why do I always have a southern accent when I do that? I tell you what. <laughs> Come on, that's the best amen I've gotten, Samson. It says, confess your sins to each other so you may be healed. I heard it said this way. When I was 18 years old, I had my first this thing that we don't talk about a lot in church anymore, but we need to bring back accountability partner. Come on, you remember accountability partners? I said, Man, will you keep me accountable? He said, Yeah. We were talking one day and he said this to me. He said, Ryan, I need you to understand one thing. That God will never make public what you allow him to deal with in private. But if you don't allow him to deal with it in private, he will make it public because he loves you that much. I was like, whoa, I don't want nothing coming public. So I just keep bringing things into the light. Holy Spirit, search me, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Happened this week, as I was prepping this message, God was saying, you're preaching this message on holiness, but you got something unholy in your life. Hold the phone. (laughs) I went in, I grabbed that thing, pulled it right in the light. This week dealt with it, killed it, broke the power of sin off of it. It's time, it's never been that God hasn't decreed this and commanded this. It's time for us to get back to it. Of being holy as he is holy. Would you stand to your feet just as I close? I know it's a bit of a longer message. I know I'm long-winded as it is. I know we kind of just went verse by verse, but it's important. David would say, I've hidden your word in my heart, God, so that I might not sin against you. I want to encourage you in the room right now to, even if it's just the verse of the day, to just read at least a verse a day. And even if you don't know what it means, just read it and go, God, I don't know what that means, but thank you for your word. I do that all the time. You start reading through the Old Testament and you're like, what? I got to sacrifice, what? I'll kill my neighbor's cat, you know what I mean? You know? I want to encourage you to do a few things, one of which I want to encourage you to get the word of God in your heart daily, even if it's just a verse. I've hidden it in your heart so I might not sin against you. And I want to encourage you. Matter of fact, we're going to do it right now. Would you do me a favor? Close your eyes. And in your own words, I want you to pray the David, the David prayer. Search me, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Expose it. Reveal it to me. Bring the unseen into the seen, God. Because I want to deal with it. I want to be holy as you are holy. Set apart. It's not that I won't sin. But when I do, I need to bring it into the light. So you can deal with it, you can heal it, and you can redeem it. <laughs> because part of my testimony becomes part of the way that we live holy lives. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you that even right now, because you're bringing things to the surface—things that we need to deal with. Apps on our phones that we need to delete. Social media accounts that we need to unfollow. Friend groups that we need to step away from. Things that we need to confess to some relationships that are closest to us. It's gonna hurt. But you can't heal what we won't allow you to expose. We're a broken people. And only you can make us whole. And we want to be holy as you are holy. No more undercover Christianity. But a life pleasing to you. So we surrendered today. God, I pray for every individual in this room as they've prayed their own prayer of, of examination. God, that you loved us enough to reveal... The things that are holding us back, the sin that so easily entangles, as Hebrews would say. But Lord, you're calling us to bring the darkness into the light so that we may be healed and whole and be a holy people in the world, but not of the world, set apart to be used by you. Let us be holy as you are holy. Let us be holy. As you are holy, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.